This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. How many of you are glad to be here today? Amen. Well, it's such an honor for me to be back here again and to have this opportunity once again to speak into your lives. And what a special privilege to be the first speaker of the new year. I love the words of William Ward. Another fresh year is here, another year to live. To banish worry, doubt, and fear, to love and laugh and give. This bright new year has given me to live each day with zest. To daily grow and try to be my highest and my best. I have the opportunity once more to right some wrongs, to pray for peace and plant a tree and sing more joyful songs. Good words, huh? During my years in ministry as a pastor, I remember one of the games that the young people used to play the most was the game of ping pong. How many have played ping pong before? Well, there was a young man by the name of Bobby, and if you were playing Bobby the game of ping pong without fail, if Bobby didn't like the way the game was going, he would reach out across the table and grab the ball and say, start over. Guess what? In starting the year again, we get to reach out and grab the ball of life, so to speak, and proclaim the words, start over. And I don't know about you, but the idea of that feels good to me. Why? Because we can forgive ourselves for the mistakes we've made. We can let go to what could have been, and we can look ahead to what can be. Amen? Let's pray. God, we thank you for this day, that truly this is the day that you have made. We thank you, Lord, that your presence here in this place reveals and proves your existence in our lives. And we ask that you'll meet with us in this place today, that you'll open our hearts, open our minds to hear from you, speak something into our lives and into our hearts that will change us forever to be more like you, in Jesus' name, amen. amen. Within each of us is a longing, a deep-seated desire to be known, to be loved, and to be accepted just for who we are. When we're young and innocent and not yet so molded and infected by the opinions of others, there's an honest, humble, yet confident voice that resounds within us that says, let me be me. You like shopping? I like hiking. Let me be me. You're more laid back. I'm a little more driven. Let me be me. You're fashion forward. I'm more casual. Let me be me. You like girls? I like guys. <laughs> Let me be me. Amen? <laughs> Why are we so afraid of others anyways when they're different from us? Why are we so afraid of ourselves when we are different from others? When I was very young, I realized that I was somehow different. I was innocently playing at my grandmother's house, and my stepfather walked in. 
He saw me playing with my grandmother's jewelry on and her shawl wrapped around me like a dress. Well, that was only the beginning of the years of ridicule and abuse that followed from him. I received the same kind of cruel punishing treatment from the kids at school. Fag, you should have been a girl. I don't know what hurt the most, the heart-piercing words of rejection or the pounding fist at my head when the teacher wasn't looking. One thing I was thankful for, I could run really fast. <laughs> and I put that to good use every day after school. When we've experienced such emotional trauma as this, more times than not, we find ourselves doing whatever it takes just to fit in. Amen? My mannerisms are too feminine? I guess I better butch it up a little. It's not the norm for a lesbian to like to wear dresses? I guess I'll try that flannel shirt. <laughs> what? I love me some lesbians. <laughs> and their dresses. And their flannel shirts. My face isn't pretty enough, isn't handsome enough. Maybe I better look into some procedures to change it up a bit. The sad thing is, is that in time, if not kept in check, this type of thinking will cause us to possibly stand and look in the mirror one day and we'll find someone that doesn't even resemble who we truly are. That confident, strong voice that used to say, let me be me, that used to resonate so proudly out of us, now has been reduced to nothing more than a whisper. Let me be me. And the confidence, well, that was lost a long time ago. The pressure of society to fit in and be socially accepted can have a troubling effect on even the most loving and well-intended parents. Every parent-to-be dreams about what their child will be like. What will be the color of their hair? How tall will they be? Surely they will be the smartest in the class or the most athletic. Without even realizing it, our child's life can be meticulously planned out from start to finish with a big heaping scoop of unrealistic expectations on top. What if the child's a girl instead of a boy? What if the child's a boy instead of the girl? What if the child is gay or doesn't know if they're a girl or a boy? What if, like in the movie The Odd Life of Timothy Green, the child has leaves on the bottom part of his legs. There was nothing normal about Timothy Green. After his parents tried to have a child for years without no success, they decided to put that dream to rest. One night to bring closure to this decision, they wrote on little slips of paper all the characteristics that their dream child would have had. They neatly put them into a box, went out back and planted the box in their garden. That night, something magical happened. In the midst of a horrific rainstorm, Timothy Green sprouted up right out of their garden, a 12-year-old beautiful little child. 
Now, it didn't take long for Timothy's parents to recognize that their child was different when they saw the leaves. Being the loving, caring people that they were, they thought, how is this going to work for our little boy? People are not going to understand. People are not going to understand. They're going to laugh. They're going to make fun of him. He's different, and different doesn't fit in. The next day, they did what any protective parent would do. They took Timothy to one of their close friends who was a botanist to see if he could clip off the leaves. They discovered very soon that there was nothing they could do to change Timothy. He, they, the leaves were a permanent part of who he was. So we could say that there wasn't even anything that years of psychotherapy or reparative therapy could change about little Timothy, if you know what I mean. He was and always would be a sprout from their garden. Even so, Timothy's parents tried to hide this part of Timothy. They put socks on him to cover the leaves on his legs. However, when the sun came out, there was no hiding. Timothy was different. Because he did what every little sprout, flower, and plant would do. He lifted up his arms to bask in the life-giving rays of the sun. Right there in front of everybody, he showed he was different. He couldn't help himself. You know, the most beautiful part of the story of Timothy Green is that he accepted who he was. He was comfortable in his own skin. He accepted the leaves and all the differences. And because of this, Timothy was able to accept others and their differences. He, he possessed a special gift to make others feel more comfortable in themselves and feel accepted. You see, when we're able to accept ourselves and accept others, it has a way of yielding forth the life-changing fruit of authenticity. Authenticity has a rare ability to open hearts and open eyes like nothing else. In its presence, we are exposed. We can see our selfishness, pretentiousness, shallowness, unrealistic expectations, even our own shame. Now, there is no doubt that Timothy's parents were loving, nurturing people, and they wanted to protect their son. But in the light of Timothy's integrity and authenticity, their own feelings, fears, experiences of being rejected, failing to meet the expectations of others, were revealed. Their own feelings of not being accepted. Could that be the prominent reason for their underlying drive and motivation to hide their son's differences? Why do you think there are those that use sarcasm to put others and cut others down? Who use shame as a weapon to make others feel less than? What is that back there? Hey, everybody, turn around. Look at that back there. What is that coming in the door there? It's a diversion. <laughs> huh? Sarcasm and shame are a diversion. Just like that. 
to get others to look away from us to get others to not come too close to not see our feelings of shame to not see our feelings of being less than the defense mechanism within us all pushes us to reject others before we can be rejected do you remember the game we used to play as children the game of chase somebody would be it and there would be a designated base that we'd have to run and get to and when we would get there what would we yell out safe well in that silly little child's game we find a very very practical solution that like Timothy Green will help others feel okay with their differences and accept themselves this is it we do so by establishing a safe place for others and in doing so we will create a safe place for ourselves it's the solve it's, it's the uh, law of sowing and reaping put into effect if we want acceptance we have to sow acceptance if we want to feel safe we have to help others feel safe there's something about getting our eyes off of ourself that changes something in our lives isn't it true We feel accepted when we feel safe. Just think about that. We feel accepted when we feel safe. Isn't it also true that we feel safe when we feel accepted? Yes, it is. Now, I wouldn't be an effective life coach in any way if I didn't give some very practical steps for application. So in saying that, I'm going to do that. I'm going to give us four ways. We're going to talk about four ways that we can practically create a safe place for others. Number one, by our nonverbals. Nonverbal communication includes our facial expressions, our gestures, our eye contact, posture, even the tone of voice. Why the tone of voice? Because often it's the way we say something that's more important than even what's said. Isn't that true? Let me give you an example. Do you love me? The questions ask. We respond, of course I love you. Or the questions ask, do you love me? And we respond, of course I love you. <laughs> or the questions ask, do you love me? And we respond, yes, of course I love you. Which one do you think the listener is more likely to believe? When the nonverbals don't match with what's said, it's generally the nonverbals that went out. Isn't that true? Ralph Waldo Emerson said, What you do speak so loudly, I cannot hear what you say. The way we respond, listen, look, and physically posture ourselves all collectively 
illustrate how much or how little we care. John Maxwell said, don't show me how much you know until you show me how much you care. It is impossible for us to be good, effective communicators without being sensitive to our nonverbal communication. This is crucial if we are going to create a safe place for others. Number two, the, the second way that we can practically help others feel safe is through acts of kindness. One of my favorite proverbs, what's desirable in a man, in a woman, is their kindness. I will never forget the kindness of Mrs. Grace. I must have been in first grade when my mother and I were walking past the little white church at the end of our street just across the railroad tracks. And I remember asking, Mom, do you care if I walk down here on Sunday and, and attend church by myself? She said, sure. Probably thinking that would be the last she would hear of that. Well, I did. I got myself up on Sunday morning without an alarm clock. I, I, I don't still remember how I did that. My parents were passed out like usual. I got myself dressed, and I walked down to the little white church. I sat there on the steps, and I waited for the pastor to come. He came and unlocked the door, and as he looked down, he said, well, what a pretty little girl. <laughs> my mom kept my hair really long, because it was the 70s, you know. How many, how many, how many lived in the 70s? <laughs> hey, Mark, that was for you, buddy. <laughs> Happy birthday. <laughs> There she was in the back of the church, this sweet little woman with a bun in the back of her head, Mrs. Grace. So aptly named, huh? That really was her name, Mrs. Grace. She approached me and she asked me if I would come and sit with her during the service. And of course, I, I said sure because I was so frightened and intimidated. I'd never been there before, never been in a church before. So I, I walked over and I sat with her. You know what Mrs. Grace did? She reached over and she put her arm around this scared, lonely little boy who was abused and neglected and rejected at home. And she instantly made me feel safe. She made me feel loved and welcomed. She made me feel important. It's really something to think about, isn't it? How in such a simple way that we can reach out and make someone feel safe and accepted. How about people who come here? Maybe they haven't been in church for a long time. Maybe the church has told them that they are evil or no good. And they come here and they're searching and they're looking. Just a kind word, just an act of kindness can help them feel safe and accepted. Number three, the third way that we can create a safe place for others is by prayer. Proverbs 18.10 says, The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and are safe. John Wesley used to say that it's prayer that releases the power of God in the earth. 
we should often pray for the power of Almighty God to bring safety and peace to those around us. How many have ever felt safe when they prayed? There's just a peace that comes. Or when we were anxious and somebody came alongside and prayed for us and we felt safe. Prayer brings a sense of safety. And the fourth way that we can create a safe place for others is by our words. Proverbs 12, 18, speaking recklessly is like the thrust of a sword, but the words of the wise bring healing. Do you know that we can actually bring healing into the lives of those around us by the words that we speak? My partner Mike and I, we both came out a little later in life, around the age of 30. And so we had a lot of practice at diverting others' attention away from our sexuality, if you know what I mean. Acting just a little bit more macho at times. Trying to avoid certain topics like our love for musical theater and fashion and (laughs) decorating. I think it was because of the fact that we grew up constantly analyzing our mannerisms and masculinity or lack thereof at times, that we started to find ourselves doing that when we began to date. Prodding each other a little bit, making little comments, like, and people thought you were straight. Or, I can't believe you just said that. That was so gay. (laughs) What were we doing? We were playing the diversion game, weren't we? We were doing it with each other. We were shaming each other and putting each other down in a way, weren't we? Those old habits, they die hard sometimes, don't they? Because the ironic thing was is we were both gay in a gay relationship. (laughs) I mean, the crazy things we do. So thank God we recognized it. We laughed about it. And we discussed, how can we stop doing this, you know? We came up with a plan. And we created a phrase. A phrase that we would use that would help us to feel more comfortable with one another and feel safe. You know what that phrase was? Let me be me. Let me be me. We've both had to use it. He had to use it when he found out how many skincare products I like to use. (laughs) You know? Sean, and and let me be me. Let me be me. And I had to use it when when Mike moved in. And, you know, Mike used to be in the the fashion industry. And so he first moved in, and then his clothes moved in. (laughs) And then more clothes moved in. And then more clothes moved in. And so, you know, I was, ah, Sean, let me be me. Oh, that's right, that's right, that's right. You can be you, you can be you. And when we we would say that, we would instantly smile. We would recognize. We didn't have to say anything more. We knew. We had created a safe place for one another just by those few simple words. And we still do that today. It's kind of like a fun little game that we play now. But it still has a powerful effect. Mother Teresa said, kind words can be short and easy to speak but their echoes are truly endless. If we are ever going to be the person that God has created us to be, 
and fulfill our God-given destiny in this life, we have to accept ourselves for who we truly are, not for whom others think or we think we should be. I wonder at times how many of us are actually punishing ourselves inadvertently by withholding self-acceptance until we arrive or until we've obtained or until we become what others think or we think we should be. I love Wikipedia's definition, I think I will, of self-acceptance. Self-acceptance is being loving and happy and appreciative of who you are now. It's an agreement with yourself to validate, accept, and support who you are at this moment. Who are we right now? We are a beautiful, wonderfully made human being that has been created in the image of God. And guess what? He will never love us more than he does right now. You mean with all my problems? Yes. You mean with all the stuff that I have to work on? Absolutely. Right now. Now, it doesn't mean that we don't have some things to work on, possibly, in our lives. If you're like me, I've got a lot to work on. Maybe the finances need some adjustment. Maybe the relationships around us need some work. But that doesn't change who we are. To quote the southern maid in the movie The Help, you is kind, you is smart, you is important. And of course, there is no greater example in all the history of the world than that found in John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that he might die for you and for me that we would have eternal life. In him, we are accepted. We are special. With that one selfless act, Jesus gave us unlimited access and a relationship with the creator of all the universe. And let me tell you, there is nothing, nothing that is more special than that. Amen? God bless you.